This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. In gardening, as in everything, there are generalists and there are specialists. In my experience, in my place, some specialists focus on native plant gardening, some focus on food gardening, and some focus on specific plant groups like conifers or orchids or daylilies or roses. Among these categories of gardeners, the rosarians stand out. Maybe this is because roses can and are grown just about anywhere in the world. Their history and mythology runs deeply through the roots of cultures around the world. Roses are among the pluralists. They can be ancient or modern. They can be brassy and bright or elegant and understated. They can be edible, native, tenaciously perennial, fragrant, large, small, climbing, cuttable, and endlessly arrangeable. The roses have it all, and late winter, early spring is a quiet time of year for the flowers, but a busy time of year for the plants themselves, with everything from choosing and planting bare root selections to pruning and feeding your established roses. Joining us today to talk more about the beauty, history, mystery, and care of roses is Rosarian Jolene Adams, avid home gardener with more than 150 roses in her Hayward, California home garden, dedicated community Rosarian, member of multiple regional rose societies, and recent past president of the American Rose Society. Welcome, Jolene. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm happy to be with you. So what got you into gardening in your life in the beginning? I started gardening with my mother. She liked to have me with her as she manipulated the plants in her little cottage garden down in Southern California. And of course, I was attracted by the fragrance of the roses, not so much the thorns. That's how I got started. And it has basically stuck. And as a home gardener, you probably grow more than just roses. What got you turned on to roses very specifically in your adult life? In my adult life, I followed my love of roses. I joined several garden clubs, and then I joined rose societies. And then I began to exhibit my roses. Being competitive by nature, I found this a great reward for all of the work that I put into my garden. It's the beauty of that rose and the way it can grow and show itself just perfectly, one perfect moment on one perfect day. Was it as a competitor that you started to expand your own rose collection? And I think from what you and I have talked about before, you and your husband were involved in this sort of original rose acquisition enthusiasm. Yes, that's very true. My husband and myself had grown roses when we were teenagers, still living at home. After we married and got our first house, one of my aunts wanted to move and had to get rid of her roses, so we dug them up and replanted them on our property. Mm. And the acquisition bug bit both of us. (laughs) So give us a description, Jolene, of your current garden and you know, kind of walking us through the front, sides, back garden, and the different kinds of roses that we would find there if we were visiting. At my house, when you arrive in front, you will be met by 
a massive display of roses and bark pathways through the roses. You would come up the front walk through an arch. I have a climbing polyantha, Phyllis Bide. And on the other side, I have a climbing miniature, Rainbow's End. Amongst them is another little miniature called Snowfall, small white, tender little petals that flutter down on your hair as you walk through the arch. (laughs) I have approximately 80 roses, some sited in rose beds with other flowers, but my exhibition roses are in large pots and they are set into the ground. Once you've completed your tour of the front yard down the driveway, more pots with roses in them. They don't have anywhere to grow because I have a very small lot. My poor garage has never seen my car, (laughs) but it's full of gardening tools. If you come through the garden gate in the back, you'll find a fairly large backyard, but I have a huge orange tree. It bears its crop three times a year, so I have a continuous supply of wonderful eating oranges. And then I have an old apple tree, so they take up a little bit of room along the western fence line. My roses in the back are mostly in pots because I have a fully bricked back patio, but there's a little bit of room towards the northern edge just before we come to the back fence. And again, I have planted it lushly. And then for spring color, I also have bells of Ireland, narcissus, and daffodils, and they're all blooming. When you talk about your exhibition roses being in pots, what is the purpose for that, Jolene? (laughs) Okay, when I pot roses, exhibition roses, these are my large hybrid tea and floribunda roses. They are in plastic pots that are approximately 27 to 29 inches across at the top, tapering slightly down. They've been filled with a mixture of my own garden soil and soil amendments and topsoil so that it's a good, light, fluffy mix. And the roses can nestle their roots in there, and they will be happy for five to six years. They are standing in rows like little soldiers inside of an enclosed rose bed. I have to tip them out once every five years, so I stagger that a few each year. Tip them out, root trim them, refresh the soil, repot them. And away they go. They love it, and it's easy for me. And so that keeps them a certain size and still productive without taking up space in the garden itself. Without taking up my limited garden space. Right, right. And they are productive. And does does the putting them in pots not only take up less space, but how does that work with our current drought? Does that help having them in pots? With potted roses, the watering is fairly well controlled. I happen to have my pots on a system that it goes off four times a day during the summer. It will go off at about 5 a.m. for five minutes and then 10.30 a.m. for five minutes and then 2 p.m. for five minutes and 4.30 p.m. for five minutes. So actually they get 20 minutes of water from a small emitter, but it's not quite enough to make water come out the holes at the bottom of the pot, but just enough that because of the repetition of the watering, the water column within the soil is forced down through most of the root mass. So that keeps the rose happy. It keeps it hydrated. And on top, I have a mulch layer so that the heat of the sun won't evaporate any moisture that's left. Gotcha, gotcha. So while we're on this sort of care and keeping of the roses, how often do you feed your roses and are you having to feed them more based on the fact that they're in the pots? 
As far as feeding my roses, I like to use what I call the holiday schedule. You know that roses are just hardwood shrubs. And therefore, in the fall, as the sap is going down into the large anchor roots of roses and stores food for the spring growth that is coming up. So you don't need to fertilize right now, early, early, early in the coming spring or late, late, late in winter, however you want to count it. But I will begin to feed on the first holiday, which I call St. Patrick's Day. And then I will feed again on Memorial Day, and I will feed again on the 4th of July, and feed again on Labor Day, and that's it. They will get a double handful of a mixture of any organic nutrients like manures and any pelletized fertilizer that I might want to scatter for nutrient deficiencies. And if you look at a calendar, those four holidays in the week of the holiday, Mm -hmm. they're evenly spaced across the growing season. So the roses get just enough food to keep on going and they, they do quite well, even the little ones. Now, as the pot gets smaller for miniatures and mini floras, you have to feed more often because as you water, the nutrients in pots get washed out. Mm-hmm. So for the smaller pots, it washes out a little faster. So for those, I will feed approximately half of my hand of a granulated mixture, or I'll sprinkle a little manure on the top of it and let the water trickle it down through the soil mixture once a month. Okay. Okay. And is there a particular brand of fertilizer that you prefer? Um, I am of the opinion that roses are pigs. They'll (laughs) eat anything. I just want something meaty for them, like a manure, something that will last a while and feed the organisms in the soil at the same time. Good. Good. Alfalfa pellets are also very good. I know my rose society here definitely recommends that after we prune, we top dress with the alfalfa pellets so that the winter rains can kind of push that into the soil. Uh, my dogs seem to also adore these alfalfa pellets, which is unfortunate, but it does, I, I do it. And and what do you think about that? Is that a good thing? Absolutely. And you don't have to do it immediately after you prune, but you should do it after you prune sometime before the regular March feeding. Alfalfa is a, a great, well, it's not a grass, but we'll call it a great grass crop that is grown. It's full of proteins, plant proteins. And when it's dried, that's all concentrated. And That particular plant has various hormones and enzymes that, when released out of that pelletized form, energizes anything that's growing around it to begin producing more stems, more leaves. It's an enzyme that causes the reaction. Hmm. Biochemistry right here. Right here, right now, science and roses. Now, tell me, Jolene, about (laughs) pruning, (laughs) because clearly you are pruning you know, you have a, a, a slightly different pruning schedule based on the potted situation, but talk about general pruning that you follow for your roses. And of course, if people are in colder climates than ours, they'll just delay this schedule in, until it is seasonally appropriate. Exactly. Depending on your climate, watch your roses carefully as they're coming out of winter. All of the leaves naturally drop off, or as many as possible, and the winter winds will scatter them all over the neighborhood so you don't have to rake them up. Someone else will. You'll start to see the bud eyes where those leaves once were attached slowly starting to poke out. When you see that, when you can actually see bud eyes, prune. 
For the large roses in my yard, I like to take them down almost halfway. And think of this. Where are the old canes? Where are the broken canes? Where are the canes that got chewed up by insects while I wasn't watching? Where are the new canes? I want to save the new ones. I want to cut out the old ones and top off the broken canes or remove them completely. I want to have a vase shape with an open center going down to the crown of the plant and five to eight good canes. A young cane will have a smooth green skin, a few prickles. The old cane will have a gray skin and wrinkles. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Sadly, yes. it does, Julie. Out with the old, save the new. And when you cut, put your pruning shears against the thick stem and cut as close as possible, leaving the least amount of stub that you can, because there are funguses endemic that will attack that open wound. And your plant has to send hormones and enzymes quickly up the base skin of the cane to stop that as fast as it can go. So the smaller the cut, the closer to mama cane, the better. Okay. All right. That's good to know. Describe how how you can direct the shape of your vase that you're creating in this shrub um, by choosing which bud you cut above. Exactly. To maintain this vase shape as I'm looking at the plant, I will find buds north, south, east, west going up a cane, staggered just as the leaf sets were when they grew. I want to find a bud that is in the direction that I want that new cane to go. So logically, I would find a bud on the outside of the cane, since I want an open center, cut just above it. You don't have to get out a, a ruler and measure the angle. You just put your shears on the cane just above the bud, and the thickest part of your shear is about of a quarter of an inch. So the cutting edge should be just above that. And the new cane that grows from that bud will be going out. Now, if you have a driveway and the roses are attacking cars, you might want to cut to an inside bud hmm. and direct the growth back a bit. You're the human. You can control which way the canes are going to grow by choosing the buds that are pointing in the direction you want. And to clarify, you do this to your roses every year. You take them down by about half. Is that correct? Every year, I take my large roses down about half. Little ones are a bit different, but the large ones are sturdy and strong. And think of this, a root mass under the ground, and it's been eating rose food all year. If you take off half of the top, there's much less that it has to feed, but all those nutrients are going to be coming up in the spring. I like it. So less canes, further down, the better. And the happier the canes, the more flowers you're going to get in summer, right? Absolutely. They will bloom gloriously for you. And don't be afraid to cut. It could be like a bad haircut. And you know what happens next? It grows out. And then you have to cut again. 
I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Late winter, early spring might be kind of quiet in the garden in terms of flowers, but it's very busy in terms of plant care, especially in the care and keeping of our roses. Today we're speaking with Jolene Adams, a recent past president of the American Rose Society, an active rosarian and a dedicated home gardener with more than 150 roses in her Hayward, California home cottage garden. We'll be back after a break to hear more about being a rosarian and what to do with your roses now. Stay with us. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back with rosarian, gardener, and recent past president of the American Rose Society, Jolene Adams, to hear more about the care and keeping of your roses and the important role of rose societies. Welcome back. Before we leave the pruning conversation, roses are kind of notorious, Uh especially for, you know, people who might not love them, for the number of infections or fungal diseases or issues they can sometimes get, especially if they aren't healthy or they aren't well pruned and don't have the right aeration. When you are making your cuts, are you cleaning your shears between each cut, between each bush? And if so, whenever you're cleaning them, what are you cleaning them with? First of all, uh, the idea that roses are more prone to diseases, et cetera, are probably spread by the marigold people because they don't like us. However, roses don't get any more diseases than any other plant in your yard. It's just that you see them. They get fungal diseases just like camellias and azaleas do. They will get spot diseases just like all of your fruit trees will. You keep a clean garden, you'll have less diseases. Now, for the pruning implements, when I cut, I will completely prune a bush, and then I will wipe my my blades off with a Lysol spray. Mm, Lysol will not pit the steel, and it will not affect the sharpness of those blades. But it will kill. Kills on contact. Fungus spores, bacteria, the big guys, it gets rid of. Now let's talk a little bit about the rose world. What do you gain out of your local society and then the general hierarchy of the American Rose Society or other umbrella organizations? Well, to start with my local Rose Society, that's where most people would start. They become interested in roses They find out that there's a Rose Society that meets on such and such a date on such and such a time, and they go and they find companionship, other people that also like to grow roses. It's a chance to feel a part of something at the local society level, and the local society reaches out to the community. We love our roses, but we also volunteer our time for our public gardens, in our state parks, in our small cities, in our little towns. If the city is a little bit short on what to do and how to do it, they can always call their local Rose Society and people will come and help our volunteers. They're called Consulting Rosarians, and they will work just because they love roses. They will show you how to and what to and where to and then help you do it. You know, I have a small garden and maybe I have seven roses and I love them and and I choose for fragrance almost always. But to go and learn about all of these other roses that people grow is just especially 
on a gray day like today, Jolene, it's so heartening to see other roses, see them cut, see them growing, and people share cuttings, or if they decide they're not going to grow that particular rose anymore. They'll bring the whole plant in and there's a rose swap. And so it's a fantastic resource that way. Absolutely. That was one of the things that really intrigued me and got me going to rose shows. I could see roses that I didn't grow or, you know, my garden was full and I just absolutely could not buy another rose. There was no more space, but I could go to that rose show and see gorgeous roses. They were glorious. And if I wanted to buy one. My roses now understand they have to produce. Otherwise, they're going <laughs> bye-bye somewhere. But I take it a step further. There is a hierarchy to these various organizations. All garden clubs, all horticultural societies are built this way. The local societies are organized into districts in this country. Our district happens to be the Northern California, Nevada, Hawaii, and then from the district level, and they have meetings and rose shows also, it goes to your national society. And in our country, the National Rose Society is the American Rose Society. They also have meetings. They also have national rose shows where really good exhibitors bring roses from mm -hmm. all over the country, roses you've never seen before. It's infectious to exhibit at the national level, and these people are very, very good. Do you have a do you have a list of specific suppliers that you might recommend people try looking through their directories to get a sense of you know the range of roses that are out there and available? I know for me, I love high country roses out of Denver now. I think it used to be out of Utah, but now it's out of Denver, Colorado. I love heirloom roses up in Oregon. What are, what are your favorite sources? Well, my favorite sources are high country, yes, and Northland Rosarium for the people up in Oregon and Washington. Mm -hmm. We have small companies sprinkled across the East Coast that deal roses. And if you do a Google search, you will find these other ones. And I like James Mills. He's growing roses, interestingly um, grafted on Fortuniana roots, Ooh. which seem to cause the roses to grow bigger and better. There are small nurseries if you do a Google search. Weeks is wholesale, so you have to find where they are sold. We in the Rose Society generally would recommend that you are very cautious when you buy roses. Try to buy them air root, not in a package. That way you can inspect the root system, make sure that they're not all broken and snapped off. And the bare root roses are starting to be available for us quite widely right now. So in our milder climate, widely available will be increasingly available in the colder climates as you get warmer and closer towards spring. Um, and it seems a little intimidating, exactly. I think. Right. But they, uh, but as you say, you are able to see the quality of the plant and able to plant it and shape it to where you want it to go. So that's, and I think I planted four or five bare root in my new garden, which is only two years old, two years ago. And those plants, you know, starting from like an inch and a half were a fully formed shrub six feet high in some cases by the end of that first summer. So it doesn't, they catch up Absolutely. with their size quickly. Yeah. Yes. Roses can really get to you. So speaking of roses that get to you, 
what are your favorite roses out of your 150 or however many you have now, Jolene? What are your favorite and what, what is the criteria that... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> My absolute favorite rose is Jolene Adams Rose. It is a beautiful mini flora. It will grow about two and a half to three feet tall. It is a beautiful dark red on the inside of the petals, but on the outside, it's ice white. Oh. So it's a bicolor, red and white. But you don't see the white when it's fully open because it's all red. You don't see the red when it's still in bud because it's white. And I'm very proud that uh, Dr. James Spruill, who lives down in Bakersfield, hybridized this rose and named it for me. I love roses that have a good shape. The florist roses look like what comes out of a lipstick tube nine <laughs> times out of ten. <laughs> The hybrid tea has got that perfect bud shape, and then as it opens, it slowly unfurls, and there's a skirt of petals around the center. I love that, but I also love the old-fashioned look. Some of these old roses, you look at their faces, and there's just a mass of petals in there, all curled up and going every which way. Others, when you look at them, the petals are all swept into a pattern. They're either swirled or quartered or all heading out, all curving back in. Some of these old roses have a little green button eye right down there in the middle. Hmm. You have to kind of part the petals, but then you can see it. All kinds of petals, all kinds of colors, all sizes, all shapes, and all have different fragrances. Even the ones that people say don't yeah, they do. Your nose is not picking up what they're putting out. <laughs> there are many, many complex organic chemicals that are in fragrances, and our noses don't smell all of them. If you were going to point any kind of gardener towards a resource, what would that resource be, Jolene? Find your local Rose Society. Find them. Go there learn because they invite people every month they have a meeting and there will be something educational something about roses or about cultivating the soil or about harvesting or about pruning every single time you go to one of these meetings you learn something and even when you think you've learned it all you're going to learn another thing that you didn't know thank you so much for joining us today jolene it's been a pleasure Thank you very much for having me on. I had a good time. Grow more roses. It's good for you. <laughs> okay. I'm, you're on. I'm, I'm on it. Jolene Adams is a nationally noted rosarian and an avid home gardener with more than 150 roses in her Hayward, California home garden. She is a recent past president of the American Rose Society. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. As always, thank you for listening. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and JewelGarden.com. The program is made possible in part by the Stanley Smith Horticultural Trust and is produced by Sarah Bohannon. For this week's audio archive or to subscribe to the podcast, please visit mynspr.org. For more information, including many rose photos, please visit jewelgarden.com. For daily photos and more, follow Cultivating Place on Instagram and Facebook. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.